Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we speak with Sunil Thomas, the CEO and co-founder of CleverTap, which is the leading customer engagement and retention platform that helps brands maximize user lifetime value. Consumer brands around the world representing over 8,000 apps, including Vodafone, Star, Sony, Discovery, Fandango, Latam, Carousel, and Gojek, trust CleverTap to help them improve user engagement and retention, thereby growing long-term revenue. CleverTap is backed by leading venture capital firms, including Sequoia India, Tiger Global Management, Excel, and Recruit Holdings, and operates out of San Francisco, Seattle, London, Singapore, and Mumbai. We chat with Sunil about how CleverTap is helping companies optimize the mobile experience for its users, as well as his experience building the company. We hope you enjoy the show. Sunil, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a true pleasure. Maybe what we could do for the benefit of our audience is hear a little bit about your background as well as CleverTap. Thank you, RJ. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the time. My background, I'm a technologist, really. I have a computer science engineering degree and I grew up the ranks, you know, being a software developer and a senior software developer and all of that uh, thing. And I grew up the ranks uh, all the way to being CTO of a public company up in Seattle, Washington, and also in India. I've worked half my life uh, in India and in the US up the technology ranks, so to speak. Always throughout uh, my career, it's always been the interest of applying technology to solve business problems. So it was a natural progression in my career to become chief operating officer of a business. And then now I am uh, one of the three co-founders, but also CEO at CleverTap. Got it. And uh, CleverTap has some premier investors on the cap table. You've got Tiger and uh, Sequoia, as, as well as Excel. Tell us a little bit about CleverTap. In the early days, obviously, it takes quite a bit to convince investors such as those to back you. So you must be onto something good here. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, very, very blessed, in fact, to have a, a really premier sort of tier one investment team backing us. Excel was the first one who came in with the seed round very, very early, I want to say 2014. And then uh, Sequoia came in for a series A round, uh, led a series A round. And then we've had a couple of rounds with Tiger Global coming in. We also have actually Recruit Partners, which is a very, very premier investor out of Japan, uh, a little bit for a strategic investment for that APAC region. So very blessed that way. And yes, so CleverTap, you know, solves uh, RJ for uh, user retention. There is no real company who takes a holistic look at user retention for consumer brands. I mean, there are people who do email automation. There are people who do marketing automation. There are different things. But in order to take a holistic look at user engagement, you need to not only have marketing automation, which is messages, email, and all of these things, but you also have personalization, like your your homepage experience changes, depending on who you are, how often you come into the apps and websites and things like that. And also a strong sort of foundation of data where user behavior is tracked over time so that you can just get better at your personalization and optimization effort. I strongly believe, I mean, this is part of our founding thing, where I strongly believe we are creating a brand new category to take a holistic view at it. And we've been, touch wood, making progress uh, very well so far across the globe. So, and to get a little bit further into how you leverage data and analytics 
to kind of improve the customer experience as a result of customer retention. If I take just for example Netflix, so what I notice about you know hopping on Netflix is that they're always changing the interface so that they you know they know what I like to watch. I mean this is kind of an obvious fact, but they do different things I noticed and it actually works even though I know they're doing it. Right. Is that they'll they'll kind of reconfigure how certain shows appear and then they'll also repeat it in certain sequences. Right. And so I will have skipped over a show 10, 15, 20 times and then all of a sudden I'll click on it just because it's like, okay, here it is again for the 30th time. Now I'm going to watch it. How does your, you know, and retention is, is, you know, the holy grail for companies. How does your technology work? And I'm sure it's different across, you know, different types of companies. Yes. So you're right. I mean, it is about taking a holistic use, uh, look at the experience, right? So context, RJ, and intent of the user becomes like are these two big pillars, right? I mean, Netflix is a good example. I mean, if you turn on Netflix, you know, when you typically watch, which might be 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. or something like that, right? I think that is a different context. For example, I'll give you another example. If you look for like Thai food at, you know, 5 p.m., maybe you're actually looking to cook something for dinner and you're looking for a recipe. But the same thing, if you look for Thai food when you're, you know, in downtown San Francisco and there's a whole bunch of, you know, restaurants nearby and it's like 7.30 p.m., that's when you're kind of looking most likely for a restaurant recommendation, right? Well, in the good old days that we could go and eat. <laughs> but context is important and pushing content or using that moment when the user feels, I need to, I want to, I am looking, you know, these are Forrester calls them mobile moments. We've kind of internally also adopted that term. And it is about maximizing those moments. And Netflix does a wonderful job. Like, you're totally right. I mean, they put things under trending sometimes. They put things under, like, you know, what you would like to watch. They put things under, you know, because you watched X, you will also like Y. And eventually they get you to watch what you sort of want to watch, I think, anyway. So Netflix does an exceptionally good job at personalization. They've invested in this whole thing. Amazon's the other example of this. It's funny because, uh, you know, we had, uh, when we founded it in 2014, we applied to the Y Combinator badge. We got all the way through to the interview, but we finally did not make the badge. And it was actually a good lesson for us in those days. But our tagline for Y Combinator was Yahoo and Amazon-like personalization for the rest of the world. And that's what we were trying to do. So personalization comes in different forms. It is about the sort of in-app or in-website experience and, and also in terms of messaging, right? Like what emails you get, what push notifications you get and so on. So it's this holistic experience, really. So who's the ideal customer? Are your um, customers smaller size companies, medium size, large? And what is the predominant use of, you know, how are they using CleverTap? Our customers are, I mean, a bunch of growth, basically digital first companies is what we we lead with mobile apps, RJ. So a lot of our customers have web plus app businesses, but having a mobile app just makes the person, I mean, the device is personal and you can sort of get to the person a lot more easier on a mobile app, right? If you change the homepage, like your your kids or your your spouse doesn't you know get the same experience and you can only do that really nicely on mobile so we lead first with mobile apps so in that sense you know these are digital first 
consumer brands where mobile apps are important to their existence, really. But in that range, we have the whole gamut. I mean, we have customers paying us sort of $10,000, $20,000 a year, but we also have a bunch of customers paying us more than a million dollars a year. So it depends on, on sort of the volume. It depends on how much product you purchase and so on from us, how much AI and how much sort of machine learning packs you acquire and things like that. It's growth companies, it's consumer companies, it's really digital first companies. And if you want to think about verticals, we do really well in sort of this on-demand kind of verticals, whether it's food delivery, cab hailing, things like that. We do really well in media and entertainment. And it's about, you know, different reminders and, and sports scores and things like that. We do really well in fintech. This is an industry that's really booming up and, and it's a lot of sort of payment innovation and, and bill paying and things like that. And we do reasonably well in, in e-commerce and gaming. So there are these four or five industries where the timeliness and the relevance of your messaging and your experiences matters. I mean, think about Uber, right? If you, you, know, if you get the message uh, that your cab is five minutes away, if you get that physically after your cab shows up, it's almost spam, right? And that's different in an e-commerce environment where you're saying, hey, there's a sale, there's a Memorial Day sale, right? So now, whether you get that email at, at 2 p.m. or 10 a.m. doesn't really, really matter. Mm-hmm. So our use cases are really when timeliness and relevancy become really important. And the platform that we've built from a technology point of view supports this at scale in real time, storing very, very granular user data to make these things happen. Got it, got it. Noting that you founded the company several years ago, and you have a long history in, in the tech world, was this idea born out of a recent experience you had you know, in your prior company? Or was this kind of always kind of developing along the way? You were kind of like observing what was happening with other technologies, and you said, hey, this is, this is a gap here. Like only those with uh, the kind of war chest to deploy in technology can actually do this, and so we can help democratize this, this technology. How did this idea come about? That's a good question. And uh, it's interesting because all of us three co-founders are tech co-founders. I mean, we've all been engineers, we've all been sort of uh, CTOs, whatever. Uh, And in our own personal lives before we met, right, we were always leading engineering teams, you know, trying to solve marketing problems, right, trying to solve product problems, trying to sort of make your essentially retention better, how do you engage users better, all of these things. And with internal engineering teams, it, it is not your core competency. So at least I personally have always been looking out for products that are out there that help you do this and, you know, patching together whatever we can, right? So when we, the three of us worked at a company called Network 18 in India, actually, I was in Mumbai at that time. Networking, think of it like as Viacom, you know, it's a big media conglomerate. They own like 20 TV channels. They own a bunch of sort of portals uh, from finance to to entertainment to all of that stuff. So, but a sort of a media group with a bunch of brands and properties under it. And that's where it really came out saying, you know, how can we cross-sell, upsell? Like, you know, how do we expose a different brand to the same user? who's using the finance portal, but is not using the entertainment portal kind of a thing, right? So there was this thing of like, how do we cross-promote brands? And how do we get, once we have a user in the network, I mean, exposed to one of the brands, it should be this easy job, so to speak, of trying to figure out interests and and expose the right uh, sort of the rest of the services. You know, super apps today do it. We have a lot of 
super apps as our customers today where you know they offer 10 12 different services and they're trying to you know pitch it to the right person at the right time kind of a thing so so it came about actually it sort of culminated in in network 18 where we worked for like four or five years and it was this it was really where we tried to do things internally for them but you know as an internal engineering team you always have to steal resources right this is not core competency you have to sort of uh, steal and do these secret projects and they just don't go very well. So we thought, you know, it's worth a shot. And uh, it's funny because we gave ourselves a year. We said, let's see if we make traction a year and then we can always find the next job, you know, if if this doesn't go anywhere in a year. And that year has not yet ended, I think, <laughs> seven years later. Right. Well, you know, one of the, the other unique things about CleverTap is if I have my facts right, it looks like you have a large employee base in India, and then you have also a, a portion of your team, maybe a smaller portion in the US. And I would think that that is a big advantage from a cost perspective, that you get tremendous talent from India, and you know how to obviously locate them and, and interview them so you know they're the appropriate fit. Tell us a little bit about that. Obviously, it's not uncommon for tech companies to have employees in India, but I presume that there you do probably have an advantage having, you know, being from the country and, and also most companies of your size or stage that are in the US are probably mostly US have mostly US yeah, employees. So, yeah. Sorry. So yes and no, RJ. I mean, so we are a global company in the sense we have about uh, 300 employees now across the globe, you know, 200 of which, you know, ballpark back of the envelope numbers are in India and about 100 are, you know, the rest of the world. Like uh, the US is about 40, 45 people. Singapore, we have a presence. We have a little bit in, in Europe and so on. So we are spread a little bit that way. India certainly, you know, are, we've not been uh, sort of restricted by location, we've really hired, you know, even engineering talent. In fact, we have what we call a center of excellence here in Pasadena, where our VP of engineering and a couple of very, very senior sort of engineering DevOps people sit. So we've always been look for the right person, irrespective of the geography thing. But, you know, we started the company when we were in, all three of us physically were in Mumbai. After having worked about 20 years here, I sort of took a little bit of a break and I went to experience the East, so to speak. So we were physically the three co-founders in Mumbai and, you know, in this mobile first focus, the East has actually skipped a lot of India, especially, right? It has skipped that desktop era and gone directly to, to having a lot of users having their first access to the internet on their mobile phones. So having this mobile first thing in that market naturally led us to like, uh, sort of, I mean, I believe that, you know, there's a lot of benefit we have being exposed in that market at our early life, you know, network connections are not as strong, you know, not everybody has an iPhone. So it's like, you know, there are low end devices and, and hundreds of Android devices that you have to deal with and to build something at that scale. And, you know, with all of these sort of network quote unquote infrastructure uh, uh, difficulties, etc., in a very progressive mobile market, right? Like people are just uh, very progressive in terms of ideation. I mean, marketers are, uh, much more progressive in that sense uh, in 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 Asia, in India, and so on. So I I do believe it gave us a big advantage. A lot of our customer base is there, but we were able to really get into deep mobile problems very much faster in our life cycle because of that. I've used this uh, like I wrote uh, something, and I used this line once. I, I think like 
how the how for technology rj people look up to the silicon valley and it's you know it leads technology i strongly feel that mobile marketing you should look up to the east mm-hmm. the kind of innovations in personalization the kind of innovations in and even just simply marketing automation is going on at a pace that's incredibly fast faster than the us or europe in asia and in india Got it. No, that's that's a good point. I didn't realize the uh, you know advantage from that perspective. And, and so we have a strong customer base now. What's the uh, path for future growth? Is it geographic expansion predominantly, or are you building out more uh, more features and technology? No, uh, both of the above. I mean, we we have an incredibly rich target addressable market across the globe. So sooner we get to it, you know, obviously will be beneficial for us but but RJ, the product is nowhere even close to sort of completion you know another analogy that i've used sometimes is that think of us as like it's a building right if you are in a neighborhood where all of the buildings are like five or six stories and you know you have a new building that's come up and it's about the same you feel like okay it's in the same sort of neighborhood but you really don't know how deep the foundation is and you know how much taller this building can go to stand up because this category is not really known you know we there's a lot of work left uh, i i know that there is just a lot of product roadmap that we can do and the levels really like google i mean google if you think about it right if you simplify it really to the bone the problem is the right content to the right person at the right time and that's really the problem statement right google's trying to do it with ads for example and that's just a different industry we are trying to give that ability to our customers to do it for their customers and so the richness in the roadmap is incredibly i mean there's a lot in front of us we just launched a new brand by the way so we are in that process of upscaling the brand and you know there's a dash of red i've started wearing red clothes and <laughs> things like that so so we are certainly bold and upscale in the branding and that is pretty exciting too but technology product and branding is a big part of our future really got it well we're uh, coming up on time here and i like to close out with a couple questions which you know kind of veers more towards uh, you personally but one question i i like to ask entrepreneurs is can you tell us about a challenging time you faced you know along the way that really had you pause and think oh wow this is a tough situation i'm not sure if you know, how we're going to be able to steer out of it or steer through it. Can you tell us about that and, and how you were able to overcome the challenge? I don't know. This, you may be getting this answer quite commonly. I think last year and what we are facing now through this stupid pandemic has been one of the hardest challenges, right? Because we are a global company, my travel schedule, being in offices, just that physical presence of people seeing the the founder once in a while or whatever forget what value i bring to the actual table but but just missing on this thing in such a small and such a fast growing company was really hard and i'm not sure you know with the second phases and all that we are still through it because i don't think we are but just keeping morale and keeping sort of that sense of uh, positivity going throughout has been incredibly hard and really difficult i mean i, I don't think i've faced anything of that nature at this scale before so i think this was a hard year we we grew we we used to doubling every year for the last 5 6 years we've sort of doubled every year we did not double last year but we grew at a very very healthy clip so even that was a little bit of a of a difference but touch wood i mean uh, things are looking better i think uh, vaccination but but this has been a hard challenge honestly and then uh, last question is 
you've done well in your career, you've done well as a, as an entrepreneur. Is there someone that has helped you along the way, just in terms of how they influenced you? I mean, it could have been someone in a prior job. It could have been someone more recent who you think about sometimes and you, you say, you know, what would that person do when you're coming up against a, a tough question or a tough decision to make? Is there uh, one or two people that, that you've really admired and tried to model? That's a good question. I, I think a, a lot of last year, I mean, keeping on that same trend has been about resiliency and about sort of just getting things done, right? Like however bleak it looks or however, what is it? And I think, you know, I got a lot of that, I mean, in reflection from my parents. I mean, I, I just think that, you know, this sort of the early uh, culture of, uh, I grew up middle class, uh, born in India and all of that kind of stuff. And somehow I think this sense of resiliency was the biggest uh, factor of us coming through successfully last year, I think. Uh, and I think I have my parents to thank a lot for for that. So I think I sort of technical brilliant, like there are different things, but I do think resilience is a, I don't know, is a strength that I have reflected on uh, recently over the past year. And I think it's a, it's a good one to have, honestly. Yeah, it's incredible how many folks I've, I've had on who've said that their their parents or their mother or their father really, you know, influenced them, uh, you know, with work ethic, with resiliency, uh, etc. So Sunil, thank you so much for taking the time again. This has been a very insightful conversation. So thank you. Thank you very much, RJ. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you.